Well, good morning. If you have a Bible near you, I encourage you to turn to our New Testament reading, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you of something you might have forgotten. Our country is having a hard time these days. Um, Seriously, though, we are a country in crisis. Um, If you believe in American exceptionalism, and I encourage you not to believe in it, if you do believe in it, now is a moment that should remind you that Americans are humans, like all humans, and our country struggles, like all countries. Last week, we had an insurrection of domestic terrorists who attacked our capital. They desecrated our seat of democracy. They harmed innocent people. They murdered a police officer. They threatened to lynch our vice president, and they hunted members of Congress. And there's a video of all of this. And on some of the videos, you can see You can see people raising up banners of Christianity. You can hear Christian music playing in the exact same moment that from the same group of people, they are shouting, hang Mike Pence. And while this was happening last week, I was on the phone with Dan Clare the pastor of the Church of the Resurrection on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., our mother church, the church that was most significant in helping our church get started. Members of his church were hiding in the Capitol building. They were staffers. They worked there. One in particular was a young mother who for eight hours was hiding in a room with the door barricaded while her baby was a couple of floors away from her. And for eight hours, she had no contact. They heard bombs going off. They stopped counting at 17. Can you imagine? Our country is in crisis. And I know that in our church, a lot of us are tired of this. We're tired of the political rancor. We're tired of the confusion. We're tired of the conflict. And so as we come to worship this morning and we listen for God's address to cut through all of the stress and the fatigue and confusion, as we turn our minds and our hearts to God's word, let's notice how this passage, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, let's notice how God is speaking to us in this moment about this moment. Here in this passage, God is showing us something that is really important for how we should go about living our lives this coming week. As we work and as we study and as we play and as we rest in all of our various activities, this passage of scripture here, God is teaching us something that is so important as each of us, as we labor to see love made flesh in the streets of our city. Now, how does this passage do that? How does this passage of scripture cut through the stress that we're going through right now? How does it equip us for the work of loving our neighbors and blessing our communities, both in the name of Jesus Christ and in the manner of Jesus Christ? Well, if you have a copy of the Bible, look, notice James chapter 3, verse 13. 
The, the wisdom God is giving us this morning is to ask a particular question. The question that we need to ask this week, right there, James 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding? Now, isn't that helpful? In the midst of all of our fear and confusion, isn't it helpful to stop for a minute and of all the things you can think about, to think about this question in particular? Who today is wise and understanding? Now, helpfully, God goes on in this passage of Scripture to give us the characteristics of of a wise and understanding person. And in this passage, he gives us 12 characteristics. So let's just read through and notice 12 characteristics of a person who is wise and understanding, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So the first characteristic of a wise and understanding person is not intelligence. And it's not wealth. It's behavior. It's good behavior. Civil behavior. This, the wise and understanding person, is not discourteous. In other words, it's not about how much you know, it's about how you behave. It's not about how much you have, it's about your behavior, your conduct, day in and day out. That's the first characteristic of the wise and understanding person. Now, what's the second characteristic? It says right there, they have works works now if you've been reading through the letter of James from the beginning by the time you get to this phrase he has used works over and over again as an important word in his letter he uses it first in chapter 1 verse 25 the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer of works he will be blessed and then in chapter 2 verse 14 he says if you've claim to have faith but you don't have works you're wrong and then in verse 17 he says all right if you've got works if you've got faith without works your faith is dead and then in chapter 2 verse 24 he says a person is justified by their works now in the Christian language anytime it says you are justified by whatever comes after that is pretty important so James is using this word works in a very serious way and just to bottom line it for James The word means certain things Christians do. Primarily, number one, control your tongue, and number two, care for the poor. These are the works that James highlights in chapter one and in chapters two. Guarded speech and caring love for the most vulnerable. That's the second characteristic of a wise and understanding person. The third characteristic Let him show his works in meekness. The third characteristic of a wise and understanding person is meekness. Meekness comes from knowing that you're a sinner. That the line between good and evil is not between groups, but it runs right through your heart and my heart. You cannot be meek when you divide the world up into political parties and yours is right and the other is wrong. When you think that the world can be divided into neat groups of good and evil, you can't be meek. 
Because you've forgotten that the line between good and evil doesn't separate Democrats from Republicans. The line between good and evil goes through the heart of every Democrat and every Republican. When your group is the victim and the other group is the villain, you are not meek. Instead, you become suspicious and you develop pathological impulses toward demonizing the other person and self-protection for yourself. Wisdom and understanding gives you the eyes to see both yourself and your neighbor and even your enemy as creatures made by love. And that even our enemies, because they were made by love and for love, they bear glory. And their glory demands honor and protection. That's what makes a person meek. A meek person sees their enemy as bearing the image of Christ, therefore bearing glory, therefore deserving of honor and protection, and it sees even our enemy as someone who's been wounded, as someone who has pain. Wisdom and understanding gives you the eyes to see that everybody, every person, bears the beauty and the wounds that comes with life in our world. A meek person refuses to see their enemy in terms of their enemy's biggest weakness. The fourth characteristic of a wise and understanding person comes up in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. The fourth characteristic of a wise and understanding person is they are pure. This is a person who is free of moral and spiritual defects. A wise person is free from the stains of immorality. Number five, this person is peaceable. You can know a person is wise when you see them practice peaceableness. When you recognize they love peace. They work for peace. They stir up peace. Sixth characteristic of a person who is wise and understanding comes up in verse 17. Not only does it say they are pure and peaceable, but next it says they're gentle. A person who's wise and understanding is gentle. They are willing to yield to others. They refuse to exact strict claims from others. They do not have a combative posture. They defer to others when there's no serious moral or theological issue at hand. They refuse to be provoked to anger easily. The seventh characteristic, it says in verse 17, is that they are open to reason. When was the last time your enemy changed your mind to their view. That's the seventh characteristic. You're open to reason. And this is proven when you can point to recent and frequent moments when you've been persuaded to change your mind by your opponent. The eighth characteristic of the wise and understanding person is that they are full of mercy. Mercy comes from the heart of a person who genuinely believes that the other person is made in the image of God, a being of glory and wisdom and goodness with whom it is a blessing to live and from whom it is a blessing to learn. 
Jesus frequently identified mercy as a primary characteristic of a godly person. Mercy comes from the heart of a person who has refused to accept for themselves the victim of the narrative of a victim. A person who knows that we are not called at the end of the day to win, we are called to love. The ninth characteristic of a wise and understanding person is that they have good fruits. Good fruits. Now this is something you can only know what it means if you're familiar with the Bible and you're familiar with Galatians where it says, here's the good fruits, the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Number 10, the 10th characteristic it gives us here is that they are impartial. A wise and understanding person is impartial. Part of what this means is that you're honest about yourself. This is the person who comes to terms with the way in which they contribute to the problem. They refuse to draw the world up into the neat categories of victim and villain because they know, like I said before, that the line between villain and victim runs through all of us The line between good good and evil runs through all of us. It goes right through the heart of every person. The impartial person looks at the world with the eyes of love and truly believes that our opponent sees things that we can't see. The 11th characteristic it gives us of the wise and understanding person is that they are sincere. Their intentions line up with their words, which line up with their behavior. And the twelfth and final characteristic is in verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The wise and understanding person recognizes that we should not only be concerned that things change, we also must be concerned about how things change, the way things change. We have to sow in peace if we want to make peace. Love and peace are not only the goal, they are the way we get to the goal. Isn't this what Jesus showed us on the cross? That when it comes to using means of violence, to achieve a good end, the wise person will self-sacrifice and refuse it. The wise and understanding person will experience rejection and persecution and continue to behave with love and peace and mercy and meekness because that is the only way to make peace and love in the world. Okay, so there are 12 characteristics of a person who is wise and understanding. Now, what about a person who is not wise and understanding? Well, there's six characteristics because they're half of a person. Verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So the unwise person, the person who lacks understanding, you can know this person because they are bitter. They are jealous, driven by selfish ambition. 
They boast a lot and they play fast and loose with the facts. And then in verse 16, when this kind of person leads a community, notice what happens. There will be disorder and every vile practice. So there they are, the six characteristics of the person who lacks wisdom and understanding. Now, let's pull back for just a moment and put this in the context of a bigger picture. The picture that the whole Bible paints. Let's read this paragraph in light of the big story the Bible tells. The story that the Bible tells is the story of God's movement into the world. A movement that began in creation, was enfleshed in the incarnation, fell like fire at Pentecost, and will be made perfect in the second coming of Christ. Now, that's the story the Bible tells. It starts in creation, ends in the new creation, and it's the story of love moving toward the world, into the world. And that's our story. That is our joy. That is our hope. That God has come to us, not out of his own self-interest, but that he's come to us out of love. And the work of the church, the work of our church, the work of the church of the incarnation is to embody that love by deliberately doing the same, moving into the world, in order to see that amazing love of Christ made flesh in our streets and in our communities. Our mission as a church is to love our neighbors and to bless our communities, both in the name of Jesus Christ and in the manner of Jesus Christ. And so how can we do this? How can we become the kind of people who are wise in understanding, who not only are aiming at the right thing, but are using the right ways to get there? How can we become the kind of people who can love in these kind of ways? How can we become strong enough to love in this kind of way? How can we become wise enough and understanding enough? How can we develop these characteristics that it takes to put love into flesh? Well... The answer is simple. It's very difficult, but it's quite simple. James told us on the very first page. James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, and now he's just told you what he means by wisdom. If those 12 characteristics are missing in your life, James chapter 1, verse 5, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. It, to become like this, you have to turn your life toward God. You have to orient your life toward God. Ask God doesn't just mean throw up some sort of Hail Mary one off. It means turn your life toward God who is the loving creator of all things and call on him to ask God for wisdom is like a little child asking his parents to feed him because he's starving. It's not just an offhanded kind of request. This is a steady habit of prayer in which you recognize that God is the creator and you're the creature 
This is a habit of self-discipline. This is taking time to go through these verses of Scripture and taking each of these characteristics and walking through them one by one and doing it slowly and reviewing your life in light of them and making notes of the times and places and people that make it hard for you to live this way and then asking God, to go back into those places, back into the world, but giving you the gift of his spirit and growing you to better, to be better able to do this, asking him from the wisdom that's on high, pray for it. Turn your life to God. Persevere in your prayer and go back into the world again, trying to become, asking God to help you become, a wise and understanding person.